This is because the basic teaching of Scripture that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, the basic truth of Scripture is that we can't do enough. Amen? We can't do enough. That's the basic truth of Scripture. Or we can't be good enough ever to gain entrance into heaven based on our own work or our own merit. We cannot earn it. It takes perfection to get in. And we don't have it within ourselves to achieve personal or even collective perfection. You can't achieve collective perfection surely because to be collectively perfect, you would need to be individually perfect. I can't be individually perfect. Anybody in here? You figured it out yet? What's the secret? Anybody? I think so. That's, that's, that's the truth of life. We can't do it as an individual, nor can we do it as a family. Your work can't save you, nor can your family's work save you. It's only the grace of God that can do that. And praise Him for that truth. One of the issues that humanity faces is this undying security in themselves. Individually, as a society, people, we have this undying security in ourselves. Or we have this undying security in others. People think that they're good or they, 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 that they can, if they put in the work, be good enough on their own. It's a falsehood, but it's something that we believe before coming to Christ or knowing the truth about God. Or they see someone who's done uh, some charity work or given to people, fed the hungry, and automatically think because they've helped someone else that this helpful person is good and in of themselves they're good. He's a good person. He's a good, she's a good, she's a good person. She, she, she doesn't always do the right thing, but she's a good person. She's got a good heart. And let's be clear, actions can be good and come from a heart of stone at the same time. Actions are not always married to the heart behind the action. You'll hear, you'll, you'll hear people all over the globe saying that they know good people, right? But the truth about this is that the Bible says that no one even seeks God, that no one's good and no one even seeks God. Listen to this scripture in Romans chapter three in verse 10. As it is written, no one or none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside together, they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. So let me ask you this, church, you think there's any room in there for anybody being good? When God says no one, do you think that means someone? Somebody somewhere? Or do you think it's as God wrote it, no one? It's not within a person to seek God of their own free will. It is not. No one seeks for God. In verse 11, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It is not within the person to seek after God of their own volition or their own free will. It takes the, God, the call of God. It takes the call of God on a person's life, according to John chapter 6, for that person to then seek God. Then they will learn from God and come to Jesus Christ. John 6. In this passage in Romans 3, Paul's drawing a comparison between the Jews and Gentiles here. He's saying that the Jews aren't any better off than the Gentiles. 
Because no one is good according to the word of the Lord given to Isaiah, and then the word given to Jeremiah that says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things, it is desperately sick, who can understand it, Jeremiah says. That's the word given to him from God. He's saying that Jew and Gentile alike are one in the same when it comes to the depravity of the human heart, meaning everyone on this planet is depraved. No one will seek God in and of themselves. It takes God to enlighten them, to call them to himself, for that person to then follow suit and seek after God. You see, you see what I'm saying here? If God doesn't open up the door, the door stays closed. God's got to open it up. Did you know that faith is even a gift of God? That David the psalmist says that he was made to trust God at his mother's breast. That he would look for life and sustenance knowing that someone else provided that. That he couldn't do it in and of himself. That he wouldn't even seek for his own nutrition, if not for God giving him that in the first place, knowing and believing and trusting that his mother had that which he needed. For us to know and trust and believe that God has that which we need, we need to be blessed with the gift of faith. It is faith that is the greatest gift that we could receive apart from God's grace that saves us even before faith. It is by grace through faith that we believe. In this passage in Romans 3, again, Paul is drawing that comparison between the Jews and Gentiles to let us know, hey, listen, we're all in the same boat here. We're all the same. In this world, in this life, we become confused and disillusioned about what success is or what love is even. Often we, we tie success and money together and, and we also tie love and money together at certain times. And then there are those who will tie looks and uh, influence, like appearance, influence together with success and think that appearance and looks and influence in this world amount to the American dream. This is dangerous. And this is a danger that will lead one to the grave without Christ, if followed. There is a sad notion in this world as well that money can buy happiness or that everything is for sale, even people. We see that over, all over the world, don't we? Is it true that people are sold for money? Is it true that people will, if they can, buy their own happiness? Yes. Is it true that people, if they can, will buy their own salvation? Yes. Is it true that people will, if they can, work for their own salvation? Yes. If it could happen, it would. But it can't happen. So Jesus came and did. People will try and buy your love, your affection. You may have seen this growing up. They'll do something horrible and then buy you something to try and make it up to you. This ever happened? Any, any men in here ever done that? I've done something bad and all of a sudden there's a little box for the wife. Huh? If we can, we'll buy affection. We'll spend money to make it up to you if we can. And if it works, we'll do it again and again. <laughs> right? Do something horrible, buy you something to try to make it up to you. For some, this is much easier than having tough conversations. Because for some, it's, it's a lot easier to buy somebody something than to go to them and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about how I made you feel. I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't have. I was caught up in a 
fuming heat of passion. I should have never said that. Anybody in here ever said something you, didn't, you wanted to take back? Anybody? Can you? Can you take it back? Better just not to say it, huh? But for some buying gifts, shelling out cash, it's easier than having those conversations. I know numerous people who would have horrible things said or done to them only to receive a gift afterward to appease them and the issue would never be talked about. The offender many times acts like it didn't even happen because, you know, they got him a gift, so everything's good now. According to John MacArthur's commentary, there is a couple of things, there are a couple of things that the Lord um, is dealing with here. He's dealing with someone who is selfishly seeking the kingdom of God in the rich young ruler and someone who is very religious in the rich young ruler. And the text confirms this. The truth about this is, this is the same truth that we see in the world and in other world religions. We have those who would work for the benefits of eternal life if they could or they would try and buy their way in if they could. This idea of work for pay or work for reward is not a foreign idea either to mankind because that's what we do on a daily basis, isn't it? That we work for our money. We work... Um, growing up in the home for some allowance money sometimes. Anybody ever done that? I used to cut the grass and like do stuff that I should have just done for no pay because I was a good child, obeying my mother and father, but that wasn't it. I was doing it for my $15 on Friday. You know what I'm saying? That's what I was doing it for. Maybe sometimes we uh, do something for our parents so that we can get the gift that we want on our birthday. Anybody ever done that? A little extra nice towards Christmas? Or towards birthday? Uh, maybe that was just me. We work in school to earn grades so that we can graduate, get a paying job. We work to provide for our families. So what's a little more work? Maybe helping somebody out, getting someone out of a jam, helping somebody pay their light bill, giving somebody some clothes, giving to a charity, uh, giving somebody something you don't want anymore, or maybe serving food in a soup kitchen. What's a little more work on my time off sometimes that will make me feel good and get me to heaven? Can't I just do that? Do I have to believe? I don't even want to think about that. I mean, can I just work my way in? What do I have to do? What good deed must I do to get into heaven, Lord? What good deed must I do? What do good deed can I do? Well, you got to do this, 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 this. Oh, I've done all that. I'm good. Well, so what do I lack, though? Because I'm not there. What do I lack? See, it's not foreign to people to have to work for benefits, but the problem here is that this kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks at length about throughout Scripture is not a kingdom that people can work themselves into. Why? Because it takes perfection. Okay, and then we can't be perfect. Oh, yeah, that's right. It takes perfect work without sin, and we cannot accomplish that even on our best day. Faith is foreign to the natural person. To the spiritual person, faith is our way of life. We do things because we believe. We let our belief, our faith in Christ, inform our life. In other words, the decisions that we make on a daily basis, we do those things because of what we think about God or what we believe about God. If God says this, then what do I do? How do I respond? That's the way people of faith live their life, but to the natural person, that is not the way. There was a tendency within the hearts and minds of people to want to work for the benefit of going to heaven because work is easier to the natural person than faith. Work is something that people understand. They've been doing it forever, but faith in God is something that only some people experience throughout their lifetime. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 40. We cannot understand faith without the help of God. 
In Isaiah 40 in verse six, a voice says, cry, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and it's all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now this scripture alone tells us that the word of God is more important than anything we bring to the table. That includes yourself. The word of God is more important than anything that we bring to the table. Our ideas, our plans, the word of God is more important. We hear that? All flesh is like grass, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is this, but the word of the Lord. It's better, it's deeper, it's higher, it's older than anything we know. All flesh is like grass and the grass fades, even the flowers of the field fade. As a matter of fact, the grass is going to show more brilliance than, uh, it's going to show more brilliance longer than the flower will, won't it? Beauty fades. As beautiful as they are, as coveted as flowers are, and as wonderful as it is to take awesome pictures in a field of wildflowers, we've done it. We've done it with the kids. We'll do it again. We love flowers. I got plants all over my house right now. It's like a jungle in there and I love it. But the beauty of the flower only lasts a short time. And as flesh is like this, God says that we are destined to fade. Can you feel that? Anybody in here feel like they're fading? The beauty of the flower only lasts a short time. But then with the inclusion of the gospel, which the entire scripture hinges on, the human destiny to fade away as the grass of the field is interrupted by the grace of God to save some and bring those to himself who would believe in Jesus. The word of God remains forever. It's more than your flesh, which will fade. But though your flesh fades, there is one who never will, who has called you to his side, and once you come to him, he will never lose you. And he will never give you away. He will never give you up. He will never let you go. He will hold your life forever. The issue of God not saving some but allowing them to continue their charted course for hell, the issue we, we should have if we care anything about justice is, um, or there, there's an issue that, that, that some people have of God not saving everyone. Why doesn't he save everyone? He's, he's, he's you know, some, some people are going to hell and why doesn't he save those? Why doesn't he save everyone? Why doesn't he save everyone? Now, that should not be the question. The question should be, because we've all been so bad, why does God save anyone? You see, we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we all stand condemned. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for the ungodly, while we were still sinners. As we stood dead in our trespasses, in our sins, he took the punishment on our behalf, the punishment we deserved, so that we could live an eternal life with him in glory. God did this. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for all those who would come to believe in Jesus Christ. And now back to the text, we have a man asking Jesus this very thing that we're inclined to ask. We ask this question because this is how we li we've lived. This is what we're used to. What good deed can I do? Can I be good enough? I've talked to Christian after Christian, some in other churches, or mostly in other churches, in other denominations saying, you know, that 
if you're good enough that Christianity is about being a good person, and I'm saying, no, Christianity has nothing to do with being a good person. Christianity has everything to do with the one good person that there was and putting all of our faith and all of our stock in him. Christianity is about knowing that I'm not good. It's about knowing that he is so that I know where I belong in this life and that is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is on my knees at the throne of grace saying, Lord, please, if you, would, if you need something from me, Lord, send me. I'm going to go for you, Lord. I will go. My yes is on the table. What do you need me to do, Lord? I'll go for you. Just send me, Lord. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is having our yes on the table. You can have a little pen, write yes, put it on the table and say, that's me. And this is God. And anything that you ask me, Lord, that's my answer. My answer is yes. Can we do that as people? That's hard. Why is it hard? Because we've got all these ideas about what our life is supposed to be like. Because I've got all these plans. I'm supposed to make X amount of money by the X year, by this year of my life so that I can spend this other last part of my life with drinks with little umbrellas in it on the beach somewhere, cruising around. I'm not knocking cruises. I'll probably go on one at some point. <laughs> but little bouts of enjoyment are so much different than like trying to gather everything together so that during this time I can just give it all up and say, you know what? I'm just going to relax my work for the Lord. Everything is done. It's never done unto our death. That's, that's how we work for God. Unto our death, that's how we praise God. Unto our death, our dying breath, that's when we say, Lord, take me home. I'm ready. How will we be ready if we haven't gotten ready? And this Christian life is about getting ready, knowing that we still have so much to learn, knowing that there is no good deed that we can do to enter into heaven. Matthew 19, verse 16, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Okay, so you, so you hear that question there, right? Like there's the question, what good deed must I do? What good deed, not what must I believe, not who must I surrender to, but what good deed? And then 17, he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. So here's where we find out that our idea of good, our definition of good is not one in the same with God's definition of what it means to be good. I love when we find things out like that, that what I believe about something is different than what God believes about it because I want to then know what God believes about it so then it can be what I believe about it. Jesus tells them if the only one good is God, and it takes perfection, pure goodness, to enter into salvation, then we don't have what it takes. And even more, Jesus is saying that God alone is good. Therefore, our deeds are not good. And let's go to Isaiah 64. We should know that this echoes what the Lord tells Isaiah. We have all become like one who is unclean. Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Back to verse 
17 of Matthew 19. If we cannot be good, you ask me about what is good. There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. In other words, you said, you're asking me about what is good. You said, what good deed must I do? Well, no one's good but God, so your deeds surely aren't good. So nothing you do can get you into heaven. Jesus already given him the answer right there. What do you, 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 why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he said to him, which ones? So he's asking which commandments, right? Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall honor your father and your mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept. He's thinking he's about to ride off into the sunset here. He's hearing things he wants to hear. Oh, I, I've kept those though. I've kept them. I, that, that's what I did. That's, what I, that's who I am, baby. That's who I am. I've done these. What do I still lack? What do I lack? Jesus says to him, verse 21, if you would be perfect, so Jesus, I like that, that there. Lo, oh, you perfect. Oh, I gotcha. Well, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Oh, so Jesus gets it right where it hurts. And come follow me. So go, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Oh. All those things that he had done, though, the life he was living, all the commandments that he was keeping. But golly, when it came to this one last thing, he just wasn't willing, just couldn't do it. It hurt too much. It cut too deep because he was worth too much. This man had found himself in an interesting predicament that we all find ourselves in when our worth is placed in ourselves, when we think that we're better than we are. I don't want any of us to be under that delusion, thinking we're something we're not. Jesus is pointing directly into this man's heart. All those commandments, according to him, were explainable through an outward observance or an outward obedience, meaning it could be seen as though it was an act that they were to follow and an act alone. This guy was outwardly obeying the law. He's doing these actions. Going through the motions, obedience to the law was always seen to people as actions that they had to perform or works that one had to do in order to be in right standing with God. If you sin, you have to pay God for it, in essence. That's what the law was showing people because that's the way they were viewing it in their heart. So if I do something wrong, then I have to pay for it. So I go and take my payment to the priest. Now the payment was done in form of sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, you know, fragrant offerings, blood offerings, all these things. If you sin, you have to pay God for it. This is the way they live. But the law of God exposes the sinfulness of man and puts it in plain sight for them to see. So the law of God says, don't murder. And somebody who murders says, oh, I've murdered. God doesn't like that. So now he knows that thing that he's done is a sin. And the law of God says, don't lie. Somebody's lied and says, oh, I'm not supposed to lie. God doesn't like that. So that's a sin. I'm not going to do that anymore. So the law exposes sin for people. It lets people know this is wrong. And now there is no excuse for it because it's written down. 
You see, even though the law exposes the heart or the sinfulness of the man and puts it in plain sight for them to see, people don't see it as an exposure of their sins. They see it as, oh, this other thing I've got to do because I've messed up. And in the heart of the law that Jesus teaches them, the heart of the law, it goes further into what God wants them to see about him. The heart. In other words, why are you doing the things that you're doing? So you've sinned. You've done this wrong thing that God doesn't like. You've lied or uh, bared false witness or lusted or uh, coveted or um, whatever it is that you've done. You sin against God. There's the heart behind it that Jesus is interested in. He's not interested in our payment for it because our payment's not good enough because the payment comes from the same sinful person that just committed sin against God. Once we commit sin against God, we are stained. Nothing we can do is good enough for God. So we can't make it up to God with these sacrifices and observances. That wasn't about what it was. It was about exposing the sinfulness in the man's heart so that the man or the woman could have their heart changed after giving their life to God because nobody in here has the power to change or the control to change their own heart. It takes God himself to transform the heart once we've given our lives to Christ for us to be acceptable to him. God has to change us. God has to change us. You can't change you. You can't change me. Sometimes you want to change me, but you can't, right? Sometimes you want to change each other, but you can't. And it drives you nuts. If they could all just be like me, we'd all get along. I've got the right ideas, I tell you. <laughs> Jesus is interested in the heart, though. Not the outward obedience. But why are you being outwardly obedient? Outward obedience is fantastic. It's fantastic if we're inwardly being obedient at the same time. If... Inwardly, we're like, I hate you. Hi, how are you? <laughs> That's not right. But if inside we're like, oh, you hurt me, but I forgive you, I love you, because God's forgiven me. Hi, how's it going? Can we talk? That's good. That's real good. But I'll tell you what, that's hard too. And I know how hard it is, because I've been there. We've all been to the same places. We've all dealt with these same things. We're all people, right? So we all know each other's struggles and what they're like. One struggle could be different from the other, but we deal with them the same. Jesus is interested in the heart behind the action. Behind the fake actions people take to make themselves seem all put together, God sees the heart of people to hold us accountable for our own deceitful desires when we have them. It's easy to work. But I'll tell you what, it's righteous to surrender. You don't need to work, church. You need to surrender. And I know that's hard, but that is the way of God. And that's what leads us to living our absolute best existence, is surrender, surrendering to God. Verse 20 and 22, the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, Go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He says, I've done all that, Jesus. I've done it all. What do I still lack? Tell me. 
Bring it on. I've done all those. I can do another one. What do I still lack? The Lord tells him to go sell everything he has, give to the needy, and he finds out the truth about himself, doesn't he, this rich young ruler? That question that he asked, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? The answer astounds him. He finds out there in that moment that as much as he had and had acquired throughout his lifetime, and as good as he thought he was, he was nothing and he had nothing. What do I still lack? He asks, what do I still lack? And the answer is everything. You lack everything, man. Because all those things you think you have, you don't have them. They're going to fade. They're not yours forever. They could be yours while you're here until you need to sell them because you need some money and they're not yours anymore anyway. Or until you go, even if you leave them to family, they're still not yours. All those things you think you have and you still don't have anything. Why not? Because you won't surrender. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, verse 22, for he had great possessions. As good as he thought he was, his possessions were still more important to him than his own eternal life. I want you to see that here. When he says, okay, go sell everything you've got, give to the poor, and then come and follow me, he's like, oh, no. I can't, no. Nah, I'll see you later, though. Um, walks away. This dude, think about it, his own life, or his own possessions, the things that he had acquired, everything he had, they were more important than his life. Because you're talking about his life and his stuff. And what does he choose, church? He chose the stuff. Please, I beg you. Don't ever choose stuff. Whether it's your stuff or somebody else's stuff, it's stuff. Don't ever choose that over your own life. Make decisions every day to choose life. How do we do that? We pray and ask God to help us with our life. We give our life away to the Lord every day. We surrender to him every time we have an opportunity. We surrender, we surrender, we surrender. Don't pick up your stuff and hold it up to God and say, here, do you want any of this? Because I want in. Can you let me in for this? Don't ever hold your stuff up to God. In fact, hold yourself down. Submit yourself to him. Give him everything you are and come and follow Jesus along with us. Because I tell you what, one day, we're going to be with him in glory. And I want to see you there. And I want you to want to see your family there. What is important to us? Is it our stuff or life with God? Let's choose life. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you, Lord, this morning for showing us, Lord, that life is more important than stuff that you are more important than anything, that we could come and follow you, God, and follow you into forever if we'll just surrender and let go. God, show us how to surrender. Help us, Lord, to let go. Help us to love you with everything we are, with everything we've got, 
to love others as we love ourselves, Lord, and help us to be keepers of the commandments in our heart, to do these things out of the goodness and the joy that overflows from the Spirit being within us. God, help us to know the truth about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ before today, I pray that you would do so. I pray that you would come to him as he's calling on you to come. The Lord is always calling us. He's wooing us in the wilderness of our lives. I pray that you would answer that call this morning. If that's you this morning, I'd love to, for you to come up so I could pray with you. If you have questions about Jesus or about God or the church or salvation or anything, or even about some of the things you're struggling with in your life, please come forward. I'd love to talk with you. I can always schedule a meeting with you at some other time. I'd love to pray with you now, though. So if you need prayer, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you.